This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. As the air Sharing A memory Of grey Wander in my world And dream About the pictures I play Of changes For much of the 20th century Ireland was primarily known as a country of substantial net outward migration. Ireland had the highest net emigration rate in the European Union in the 1980s. But by the year 2002, Ireland had the highest net immigration rate in the European Union. Migrants to Ireland were of every type and condition, and for the purpose of this project, we are going to focus on a very particular group. Poets. Poetic Lives is a six-part series that follows the lives of six poets that, not having been born in Ireland, now live and produce their art in this country. Each programme is a blind date for the interviewer, who will only know the poet through the selection of poems and the brief biography sent to him by the poet. Following the path laid by the poems, the interviewer and the poet will talk about the life experiences and interests of the different poets and how they are reflected in the poems. All our guests have three common denominators. Poetry, migration and Ireland. From the Far East to America, from Africa to Europe, each poet will talk about expressing their very different experiences through the medium of poetry. Now it is time to listen to today's poet. A race around the stars, a Tom's Exotic Princess The colour of my skin stares on your face even before i speak your mind races across continents asia southeast asia where from labels political status refugee asylum seeker or what language oh she speaks english no errors here good spoken english strangely enough pretty face writes in english conference academic papers engages in debates and you know what she raised her hand in an audience of Who's Who at the National Concert Hall and again at Hugh Lane Gallery. She had the nerve to ask what nobody dared, the rights of an Irish woman. Jesus, must be an aberration. What? Pays taxes as well. I, an enigma to the ordinary white Irish here, to know that. This woman, this brown woman, is more than just Tom's exotic Indian princess. My name is Nita Mishra. I have been in Dublin for the last seven years. I am a mother, I am a homemaker, and I am also doing my PhD at UCC Cork. I'm working on rights. I've been involved with many NGOs. I am also on the board of an NGO, a wonderful NGO called Koalof. I have been active with students' bodies, working with community groups, and I write as well. Thanks for coming. Thanks for taking part in this project. Thank you for asking me to come. Let's go back to the poem that you just read. In that poem, you talk about the fact that they saw you as something unusual, something exotic, something that they didn't expect you to be as, as capable 
Yes, that was the surprise from them. Here's pretty face. And actually, it was said in jest by a very good friend of mine. And uh, every time he said something, I ended up writing poetry on that. You came from India. Yes. Then let's start the journey from India. We will start with one of your poems. I go to India every year. If I don't go there, it's like I can't breathe. When I wrote Seasons, it was... It was nostalgic also. Most of my poetry actually is quite nostalgic and tries to connect my life in Dublin with the one I have left behind. I won't even say I've left behind. I keep going there every time. It is in only in Dublin which I got the time, the space, environment, the people, the muse and the reason and the escape to be able to write. So I wrote Seasons when I was in the villages of India uh, last year. It reads like this. Post-harvest... Golden paddy fields, lying open under the skies, vast open spaces of fertile earth, taking a break or menstruating, rejuvenating as the eco-feminists would call it. From having produced its riches, the golden husks of paddy rice, Lakshmi, the goddess of plenty, had arrived for the farmers' large and small landholders. Proof lay in the farmers, in the farms where women and men, both hard at work, threshing, winnowing and milling of the grains all day, while others prepared their land for a quick winter crop, second crop they call it, the sowing of millets, aborigines, lentils amongst others. Festivities in the air lay galore, Makar Sankranti heralded the end of harvest season, the skies dotted with wonderful, colourful kites. Taking me back to memory lane, to grandfather's mansion where cousins and I feasted and let so many kites free in the Katak skies decades ago. This was also the wedding season in India, where in silk and heavy gold jewelry adorned the women, the night skies lit with firecrackers, music and laughter, men in their fine suits, churidars and silk kurtas, and talk of politics, and yet another national budget filled the wedding shamianas. In my village, ancestral home, there were knocks on the front door with invites for attending Shraddha feasts at the community hall. So many souls passed from this life to another while the ones left fasted and feasted. And thus, this was also the season for sharing memories of togetherness and of the inevitability of life's constant loss, the truth of death. In the interiors where I traveled to communities that feasted every full moon night, by the people with the sacrifice of a goat and a chicken and drinking the local ambrosia, feasted for two days or more in between the harvest workload, the January Parab was the king of all Parabs. And back in the streets of the capital city, the heart, Dilli hai Dil Hindustan ka, this was the season of cultural nights, of fusion of music, dance and drama, of the east-west, of Sufi music in the backdrop of the Mughal splendor, seated on white sheets under the open skies. I had the privilege to listen to Begum Tahita Saeed from Pakistan, singing, it was the season of love, pining for the arms of the beloved, hearing Amir Khosrow's eternal couplets in Begum Saeed's haunting voice. Yes, I miss this season in India when the nip in the air, the smell of winter would spiral me to two and a half decades back in no time. I call it seasons. It could be feasting and festivities. Do you think that your view of your home country has changed once you have been out and back again? Uh, even in India, I lived in different cities at different stages of life and they're all very different from each other culturally and language and uh, uh, I have always probably pined for what I have left behind because I've always moved, even as a child. It all comes together when I'm looking back from Dublin 
in that poem, I have actually mentioned the village life, a normal, ordinary plains village life, and also a village life in the remote areas in the hills where tribal populations live. And they're quite different. Um, and what has changed for me in Dublin more than ever before, I realized that um, I had not seen myself, for instance, as a Hindu before. I had taken it for granted. So, but it's only in Dublin I realized I was not a Christian. But in India, it never bothered, uh, my religion never bothered me. And that is, that has come out the strongest for me. The idea that uh, I was an outsider, a migrant and a woman. And also that I was a small brown woman that is very strong with me. And my kids make fun of it, actually. I want to link your experience in India and your experience in Ireland. You link that experience in your poems and you have a series that is called Stigma. Yes. What was the purpose of that series? In my writing group, right away, writers uh, group in Dundrum, we had to write on stigma and it was bothering me. And every time I thought about stigma, I went back to childhood and my experiences uh, with other girls and women's experiences. Sometimes I don't know which is what, because even in my thesis, in my research, the 10 years that I worked with different people and women's work that I've done in India, I have always heard the stories of women and somewhere there's a blur. I don't know which is my story, which is somebody else's story, because I need to write when I've feel strongly about an issue and stigma is part of that i am hoping to make it a ballad someday stigma stigma followed me everywhere i was 17 he was 14 they said you should have known better little did they care i was small and he was strong i was in debt to their hospitality nowhere else to go for a whole year a timid quiet adolescent hang in there now i remember at six years, on long summer afternoons, playing hide-and-seek with a half a dozen siblings, stigma entered the kitchen with a house servant who helped me hide. The early college years passed in turmoil, covered in dupattas, salwars, long skirts, full-sleeve blouses, hiding from the hungry male gaze on DTC buses. Scrambling for invisible spaces, gangs of roadside Romeos would follow as I entered quiet Delhi streets on late afternoons, always, always on the lookout, always on my feet, agile, ready to run. And stigma followed me, never letting me out of sight. Stigma followed to the fair city of Dublin, dark-skinned, exotic, high-casteness, accented English, Dubliners looked in awe, ah, the contradiction of the color with the language. Dark yet could speak English, knowledge of the words in poetry and prose, in essays and articles, Jesus, papers in academia. The suspicions followed, the men could not resist, the wives of the scholarly were wary, every gaze followed, what they call exoticness, the fire extinguished, fear creeped back, settled in the heart, and yet again stigma followed. This is just part of it. It's a longer one. In this part that you have read of the poem, you follow a pattern from India, from your youth to today. Over in India, you are talking about something that any of our listeners will relate to the news that come from India constantly about women's rape and violence. And how was that then? How is it now? How do you relate to it from here and how do you see yourself? You still talk about a stigma living in Dublin. Yes, um, I. this is a very 
womanly experience. They're not feeling safe either in Dublin or back uh, home in India. All that media on Indian and the rapes that have been committed in the last few years again, and I mean, very recently also there have been a few which have come out in the media. Probably what is missing out in Dublin is that the media is not sensationalizing violence against women in Ireland. And that's the only difference I see, because my own experience as a migrant woman is colored with verbal abuses on the streets of Dublin and in very posh areas. And um, I just have to either ignore it or uh, pretend. There have been times when I've gone back and said a few things. So it does get me angry, but I write it so it's it's a therapy to write it you use your writing as a therapy yeah you have come across many racial yes. abuse yeah it's at least And once a month and i live in south dublin and very posh localities in the current generation they probably see more pe different people from different parts of the world but i have had cars stopping on the roadside and saying stuff to me and then zipping past And in bus stops. And I, in fact, uh, one of the stories I wrote was Dublin is not a safe city. Or Dublin is a safe city, it said. And series of small incidences on Tuesday nights, I used to go to Koloff for the trade justice course on O'Connell Street on Irish Aid. And every Tuesday evening was a journey, a trek and a story. And I wrote it in series, actually. It was great fun. Because after that, my men friends also said, no, Dublin is not so safe from my account of it <laughs> and even from academia you feel yeah. that you are being in some way discriminated people probably mean very well i cannot say they look surprised they're very some of them are very good friends but there are others who look at me and at around at you know those world cafe experiences i am very active in the academia here and go to the conferences and i write papers and i do take classes uh, guest lectures And in many of them, they've asked things that they're very sweetly uh, women have asked me, so are you an asylum seeker? And that gets me very angry, not because I have anything against that. It's just that, you know, you're assuming just because I'm brown. And then when I say very hesitantly, I say I'm an Irish citizen. And that's that's the way it goes with me. <laughs> to illustrate that, I think that there is no better than the poem Color Brown. The Color Brown, this I wrote last year, late last year. I read it in the UCC conference on migrants, mouthpieces and um, voices. It, it was a great conference in September and they had chosen me to read a couple of poems. Tring, 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 rings the phone. Hello, hello, Nita, this is Paddy. Uh, have to pick on your brains again. Aha, uh -huh, you thought of me at least. What can I do? This seminar we are planning for September. Six speakers, academics, subject development education from partner European countries. You know how it is, August. Everyone is on holiday. I need two speakers, two from the global south. My heart waits with bated breath. This is my break. Finally, touch wood. I have a Tanzanian from DCU, male, have to make it gender balanced. I wait with bated breath. This is my break, touch wood. Do you know any female academic from sub-Saharan Africa? 
I swear, I don't want to use the word here. I don't know. Really, did he mean that sub-Saharan Africa? Are we saying that I'm not eligible for that offer? I, woman, academic, development practitioner, author, color brown, continent Asia, middle income country, not Irish aid priority, global south, neither white nor black. He continues, you know, Irish aid priority focus on Africa, sub-Saharan especially, but anywhere from Africa would do, I guess. A woman for gender balance, color black, continent Africa, MDGs, poverty, hunger, Ebola crisis, the white man's burden. I am very carried away. I get carried away by the term the white man's burden. I see it everywhere in development studies. What do they mean by that? I feel the Europeans have that great burden on their heads that they have to develop in courts what is not following their way of progress. As you said, you are involved with Kolov and you have done development studies. That's obviously a big part of your interest. And only last summer I was at a meeting. There is a line of thinking where they said that actually aid is detrimental to the countries that are aided. Yeah, I agree with that. Irish people in general will be very proud of their role helping people even in the sense of helping them to help themselves no sending help but giving them the tools how would you see that i should not be saying more than the fact that aid is big business and any country that is involved in giving aid elsewhere is uh, helping its own economy to run smoothly And uh, this idea of help, if development, uh, one has to define what one means by development. And for me, it is expansion of freedoms and capabilities. And that's it. Not following or aping different models of capitalist growth, probably. Many countries will have a pass of, I don't know, domination of many of the countries that they are now, in theory, helping develop. Ireland doesn't have that background, doesn't have that baggage, or at least they feel that they don't have that baggage, that they haven't been part of. Of they course will, they have been part of. Look at the... They will see themselves as a colony at the time, when India was a colony. But when India was a colony under British rule, there were Irish as governor generals in India or army commanders. Even Irish history speaks of, you know, the divide in 1916, those who wanted to continue with the British and those who didn't. So it's a, it's, it's a way, um, it's what the ostrich would do probably, hide its face in the sand. You have another poem that talks about that, about looking at the dominance and the consequences of that control by Europeans of what is called developing countries in That's general. Right. I don't know exactly what will be the a, a correct... <laughs> don't worry, you can call it anything you want. <laughs> Because before it used to be called third world, yes. then developing countries, and then I, I, I really don't know what will be the, yeah, the it's, correct term. It depends who's written the history. But before I read uh, Perseverance, um, I want to say that I'm not uh, eulogizing uh, where I come from or any community or any society. Every society, every community, every country, continent has its own set of problems. So it's not good or bad. It's just that probably let one take its own course. Perseverance. Let me bring you stories, stories I heard in courtyards of big houses in the dark when the lights were out. 
at home and on the streets load shedding or a storm hit an electric pole who cared we got our stories lying on the stones on star studded nights of an era when the wind the rain the sun were worshiped where even the gods were intoxicated on full moon nights of places where gods dwell amidst bamboo groves ghosts lived between tamarind trees and peepal branches of women and men from the lap of mountains forests perennial rivers and plenty to eat drink share and make merry notwithstanding droughts floods and the wrath of the gods the gods fought with other gods gods fought with men and men fought with other men men fought with their women and well women fought with they fought and made peace amongst themselves and with their neighbors and called upon the gods there was enough for everyone everyone persevered then came the aliens with their weapons words and conditions signs and technology other gods crossed over they persevered really persisted to develop progress and what not taking away the land its people and its gods in the name of better gods and a mission what followed is history the gods the men and women from the land of plenty marched from one earth to another to finally rest their tired spirits in the ghettos of cities no amount of perseverance could take them back to the beginning of the story and that poem you see the situation now still as a consequence of the past do you think that that's the case that years of dominations are still there and the fact that many of the goods that the, those countries enjoy now is still coming from countries in the developing world Yes, it's not just colonial domination I'm talking about. In fact, within countries, we have the cities or the corporates taking over uh, lands of tribal populations or people who are forest-based or in the... So you have those big dams and displacement of uh, uh, native populations. It happens. I have worked on those issues in the 90s in India. I have seen those stories. I have heard from them. I've been to those places and those stories sometimes become mine because even after 20 years when I went back recently it's still happening the big dams and people and it's always a struggle for domination by one group on the other. It doesn't need to be an outside group. No, it, it, everybody's always an outsider if you don't belong to that community. It doesn't have to be a foreign country. Within the country itself inequalities exist and that's um that's challenging in your poems you still keep writing about what's going on in yes. in india you write about your experiences in ireland your personal experiences and you write about what you see what's happening in india mm -hmm. do you write about what is happening in ireland as well yes um in fact try to connect uh, on the rape in india in december i wrote a poem for an event called the city of sanctuary and uh, i have linked it to the rape in india which has been sensationalized i mean rightly so and there have been many such cases so i am trying to link it to uh, the experience of many women i know here also it was not with rods iron bars or anything of the likes of that it was not in lonely stretches in a world labeled as violent conflict ridden society or where parts of women are mutilated or life taken when conceived it was not violent it was not what you think it would be like he approached he approached with wide-eyed innocence blue blue like the bluest the skies can get
the reflection of the seas on the glass eye, the depth of the blue seas in the other. She drowned in the pair, oblivious of the world around her. Her brown black eyes absorbed the perennial waters of his blues. His words wrapped her in an embrace of warmth of Pashmina Shimla shawls of the afternoon Delhi winter sun. The Lord of the Manor bestowed his favors with time on the migrant girl, and the day came. It was not with pure physical violence, it was not with tricks, nor was it an act of seduction under the influence of alcohol. It was not that she was cornered in a room or unlit streets, the Delhi metro, the DTC buses in Delhi, or the trains. It was not a poor, uneducated, unemployed colored youth, nor was it an uncle, a cousin, a servant, or a madman. It was with words, words the city of sanctuary would identify with, words equality, justice, rights, security, the climate, well-being, dignity, development, words that lift temporarily the white man's burden. The day came, it happened, it happened with soft, gentle words, precious, cherished, incredible desire between soulmates, karmic cycles. The day came, it happened time and again, the rape of her trust, her surrender in the city of sanctuary, in rooms where ideas of justice are shaped, in streets where the white man marches, making hoarse his voice for the rights of the vulnerable in what he labels poor, insecure, underdeveloped continents he teaches in the city of sanctuary. It may look that Ireland is a very developed country, but for me, if you ask me, in a country like this, which is calls itself developed, you had a very highly educated woman, Savita Halanapar, being denied her right to life or right to maternal health, which is one of the Millennium Development Goals, which uh, Ireland has signed for. So if you define development as a freedom or expansion of freedom, I do not see my freedom being protected here the day I, I decide that I do not want to go through a pregnancy, for instance. That I know it's a very touchy topic in Ireland. I try and bring it up, but if you don't speak about it in public spaces, it won't be discussed. I think that that will more or less put into words what your poems are about, mix of India and Ireland, violence against women, yes. the violence against countries. Thank you for putting it like that for me, because I hadn't thought till I read out, read out these poems. You have the have final a, one. I, I have a yeah. Hindi one, uh, which is actually um, tribute to the recent elections in New Delhi, which is like a Sariza victory in, in India, which is an amazing victory. It says, Ek aadat si ho gai thi harne ki. कुछ न पूछने की और ना ही प्रश्न करने की जब शहर लुट गया गांव बिक गई जमीन गई जमीर पहले गई नदियों को बांध दिया और बारिश बरखा रानी ने भी मुंह फेर लिया हम आ गए सड़कों पर जहां बड़ी-बड़ी इमारतें हैं खड़ी वहां हम भूखे नंगे फुटपाथों पर हमारी बेटियां गायब हो जाती जहां मंदिरों में देवियां पूजते पर भरी सड़कों पर हमारी बेटियां आप इट्स द आम आदमी पार्टी इट्स ऑर्डिनरी पीपल्स पार्टी व्हिच वन 67 सीट्स इन द दिल्ली असेंबली आउट ऑफ 70 सीट्स इट्स एन अमेजिंग विक्ट्री एंड इट गिव्स वॉइस टू ऑर्डिनरी पीपल लाइक यू एंड मी थैंक्स अ लॉट दैट्स व्हाट वी हैव टाइम फॉर वेयर इन हेल कैन यू गो Far from the things that you know Far from this concrete sprawl That keeps crawling its way About a 
thousand miles a day Take one last look behind Commit this to memory and mind Don't miss Thanks to Nita Mishra for sharing her poetry with us In today's program the interview was carried out by Inyaki Iriroyen and he will be back next week with another poet in the next program of Poetic Lives but to find out who will be next week poet our listeners will have to tune in to Near FM 90.3 Thanks for listening we hope you like this week's program of Poetic Lives and that you will tune in again next week This program was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland